You're listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. I'm Garrett Ashley Mullet, and I want to talk about everything. Welcome back to the Garrett Ashley Mullet Show. This is Garrett Ashley Mullet coming to you from Greeley, Colorado for episode 254, November 17th, 2021, a Wednesday. That is today. It is much colder than it was yesterday. Yesterday, I think it got up into the 60s for a high. It was windy, so it was a little chillier than just 60 degrees as far as how it felt, but Today, I think the high is supposed to be in the mid to high 30s, and there's a little dusting of snow outside here in our neck of Colorado. But I want to touch on a few things in uh, no particular order. First off, I want to congratulate my friend, dear friend, and pastor Paul Pavlik and his wife Erin Pavlik on the birth of their newest addition to the Pavlik family, Ambrose Timothy Pavlik. He is a beautiful baby boy, healthy, and uh, just very excited for them with his having made his debut here last week, late last week. Very excited. Everybody's doing well. And uh, Ambrose will be very close in age to Lawrence and my newest addition, Andrew. Andrew is the name we've picked out for our boyo. And uh, a big thank you to Liz Messer and Monica Chavez for throwing a baby shower last night for little Andrew. Lauren was super nervous. She does not like being the center of attention, just so you guys know. Everybody should know that about my wife. She does not like being the center of attention. But she is well-liked because she is just a nice gal. She is a sweet, sweet sweet-spirited gal. And so a big thank you to all the ladies who put together and came to the uh, baby shower last night. Lauren had a good time. Obviously, she was less nervous once things got going because she knows everybody and loves them dearly. She just doesn't like being the center of attention. So go figure. Uh, that's part of why she's got me, because I not that I like being the center of attention. I actually don't, truth be told, but I have a much higher threshold for being uh, the focus when people are listening or looking or what have you. I, it doesn't bother me quite as much. So me and the kiddos, with the exception of Andrew, of course, we hung out here at the house last night while Lauren went to the baby shower And we watched for the first time ever. I had never seen it. I know you'll all be shocked. We watched Three Amigos, The Three Amigos, Steve Martin, Martin Short, and Chevy Chase. And uh, I'll tell you what, I have not laughed that hard in a long time at a movie. It was really, really funny. It was so funny. And, uh, you know, it's, it's an odd deal because... So much of what passes for comedy 
anymore. I just, it, it leaves a bad taste in my mouth. It, it's not funny. Uh, it's actually, especially more and more, either going to be the subject of cancel culture uh, and you're kind of frustrated that, oh, why is this a contentious thing? Or it's mean-spirited, partisan, political, back and forth. We're just mocking our political opponents rather than sitting down and talking with them and reasoning with them. Or it is the sexual variety of joking. Things are just not appropriate. And it's like, well, it's kind of funny, but also, ugh, um, no. Right. And it's for me, for my sense of humor, it is refreshing to get something that's just, it's just silly. It's just funny. And you don't have to feel so bad about having a laugh at it. Uh, the Three Amigos, just this ridiculous movie, probably everybody else in the world except for me uh, until last night has seen Three Amigos. So I, I won't explain the premise of the film, but. Uh, what came up actually was I had my Signal app on my computer uh, on one of the screens yesterday as I was trying to do some studying and do some looking at um, Hebrews chapter 6 verses 13 through 20 for this coming Sunday morning. And I was working on computer parts, trying to get stuff ordered or see if it's coming or, or what have you for a new computer for my kids' school. It just got ordered. Uh, the components, for the most part, or at least a good chunk of the components, arrived yesterday in the mail. We still need to get the graphics card in and the power supply and some peripherals. Uh, also the tower. Uh, the tower is kind of an important part, uh, but processor, motherboard, uh, half of the RAM is here. We already had the solid-state hard drive. The hard disk drive is still forthcoming, and uh, it's going to be a really good machine. It's going to it's going to be a good machine for a long time, and that's something we'll get into in just a minute, but it, it's something to note, and we'll come back to it. We'll circle back like Jen Psaki in just a minute. But I had the Signal app up on my computer, and my son Eli comes in. He's just Checking in, making conversations, seeing how I'm doing, seeing what's up. And he sees one of the message groups is the Three Amigos. And this is myself and two of my friends here in Greeley, Roy Garcia and J.P. Chavez. And so my son is like, oh, so who are the Three Amigos? I said, well, it's you know J.P. Chavez and Roy Garcia and myself. And uh, I said, it's, it's based off of a, a movie, uh, a comedy uh, that came back, uh, came out rather, uh, back in 1986. So actually the year I was born, uh, I think it came out in time for Christmas, according to the trailer I watched with Eli yesterday. And so then it's like, well, let's, let's watch the trailer then. You know, actually, come to think of it, I've never seen the movie. Here's a, a clip, one of the scenes from the movie, and we'll watch that. And so then you watch the trailer and you watch the clip and it's like, you know, that actually looks pretty funny. Maybe we should put that on tonight. You know, I checked Common Sense Media to see if there was anything terribly objectionable. It was rated PG. There's a little bit in there that I'm like, oh, I don't know if that's going to be so good. But for the most part, it was, it was clean and uh, you know, no worries. 
But watched Three Amigos, and uh, like I said yesterday, we got computer parts in, and I'm so very, very excited. I just I can't emphasize enough how excited I am about my tech high. If you're a homeschooler in Colorado, at least, I know it's available in other states. I just don't know how many other states. But if you're a homeschooling family in Colorado and you're not looking at MyTechHi, you haven't heard of it, you haven't looked at it, really look into MyTechHi. We go to church with one of the program administrators, if not the program administrator for Colorado, Trisha Yunaha, and she's done a really great job of answering questions and helping us get connected and getting getting it signed uh, up, or getting us signed up, rather. And a lot of the families in our church are signed up with MyTechHi. And what it is, is it it is a, an effort at encouraging STEM, science, technology, engineering, and math. Encouraging STEM development in K through 12. So your kiddo has an interest in engineering and you don't necessarily have money to burn on buying th- things, educational resources, tools, uh, devices, curriculum, what have you, that would help them to explore, let's say, computer programming or computer science or some other thing. Uh, you can use funds which are made available. There's a certain allowance for different categories for your child when you're signed up, when you're enrolled. And you can use these funds either to order the stuff outright and then be reimbursed, uh, or you can just make a wish list on Amazon, for instance, submit it to them for ordering, and they'll look through it. They'll make sure everything qualifies. There's nothing that... uh, is outside of the scope of of their program, like clothing, household items, furniture. They don't pay for those kinds of things. But, uh, you know, computer parts, for instance, they will pay for. You know, so we've got a build-your-own class in which I'm going to teach our kids, here are the components to a computer. And some of my older boys, they've seen me build computers over the years and answered questions here and there. But we're going to be Uh, introducing some of the younger kids to this for the first time. Hey, this is what this is, and this is what it does, and here's how we install it. And once it's installed, this is the role that it plays in the operating of the computer. And then once it's built, not only will they have an understanding of here's how a computer is put together and here are the components, here's how it works, they'll also have a computer that they can do schoolwork on. And so, you know, one of my boys in particular, but several of them now, uh, also have kind of taken his uh, example and and are following that and, uh, you know, being inspired by his interest. Uh, Several of our kiddos like to do uh, art, and we're getting more into the art space, uh, getting art supplies. Well, let's get some software on this computer and a little drawing uh, peripheral called the XP pen. Uh, you know, we'll get that plugged in, get the drawing software on there. And then instead of having papers all over the house, uh, that you debate, you know, should we keep this? Should we put it in a file? Should we frame it? Should we put it on the fridge? Should we 
put it in a box somewhere when nobody's looking. <laughs> so we throw it away sometimes because uh, you can only have so many papers uh, all over the house. Well, if you do all of this art on the computer, well, then you can just save it to the hard drive. And let's get a massive hard drive. So this new machine we're building, it's going to be a 10 terabyte hard disk drive for storing uh, media like drawings and a two terabyte solid state drive where we'll have the operating system and most of the programs on which are the most resource intensive because solid state drives just by their architecture are a lot quicker. They're a lot, lot quicker to boot when you start up the computer, a lot quicker to access uh, stored programs and, and things like that. So you get a much faster machine when you work off of a solid state drive as much as possible. Lots of RAM, a decent graphics card, not quite top of the line, because top of the line is very expensive, but a decent one that will at least hold its own. It'll, it'll at least run what it is that they're trying to run on there for some time. And we can upgrade it down the road once what are the present, current, uh, top of the line video cards. Once those uh, come down in price, then you know, we can look at upgrading the, the graphics card later. But that is a big consideration. You, you might say, hey, you're going to build this big high-end machine, 64 gigabytes of uh, RAM, DDR4 RAM, solid-state drive, hard disk drive, a 3060, RTX 3060 uh, graphics card in there. You're going to have all these bells and whistles in this machine. Do the kids really need that in order to do their schoolwork? Well, yes. Y yes and no. Uh, for one thing, it is a computer science class, which is, you know, if you divide it out by several kids, the cost actually is, is much lower per child. But, you know, where the, the old mantra used to be in business and in politics and in everything, that the, the, the bigger, the larger fish ate the smaller fish, uh, anymore it's the faster that beats out the slower. So speed is of the utmost importance in our day and age, especially with the cyber component, the internet of things, all of these things that are increasingly essential to modern life. Uh, technology is central. Uh, the fast machine is going to be relevant for longer. And it isn't to say that it is necessary right now, but you can avoid the disruption of having to replace your machine as soon if you build a really decent machine, not top of the line, because that's expensive, prohibitively expensive. But if you can build a fast machine, then you won't need to be looking at getting a new machine for probably another two or three or four years. And you'll still be able to run applications that you want to for two, three, four, five years. Uh, you, you might not make that your main machine once you get another newer machine. Uh, you might end up just putting that one off to the side to run older stuff uh, or to let the younger kids who aren't going to be, you know, they'll be the limiting factor on how fast they go instead of the computer. Um, you know, the, the older boys, though, I don't want the machine to be what is holding back their ability to progress, right? I don't want, if they're wanting to go really fast on drawing something or putting something together 
on the computer or doing some research or writing a paper or what have you. I don't want the machine to be holding them back. They're waiting on the machine to to finish its calculations before they can do the next step. I want it to be as quick as they can think and decide what they want to do next, them to be able to do that. Uh, So very excited about this MyTechI computer that we're going to build here soon. I don't know quite how long it'll take for all the components to get in, but once they're all in, very excited to get that put together and uh, set up in our computer room. But enough about that, enough about my tech high. I want to circle back, like Jensaki, <laughs> on the episode from yesterday. And I have some additional thoughts I want to share with you on this whole question of refugees, Afghan refugees. What is the responsibility of the American church? If you haven't listened to that episode, go back. It is episode 253, Whether Christians Should Give to Muslim Refugees. The WordPress post of that is uh, a little bit differently worded. But I realize, you know, especially once I've published it and I go back and I listen to it, I realize there's a lot of potential for all parties concerned to be offended. You get some Muslims listening, potentially, and they're going to be very offended that I have just disagreed openly with their religion. And I've I've just characterized their religion as I see it. It it necessarily follows as a consequence of our competing truth claims. These both can't be true at the same time. I'm not converting to Islam. So I'm going to tell you what my perspective is as a Christian on what the origin of your religion is and the nature and the, the quality of your religion is relative what I believe to be true as a Christian. For those of you who are just bleeding hearts, and I don't mean that insensitively, I don't mean that to be rude, but if if you are the type who, whenever you see somebody in need, you just have this very strong impulse to give generously to them, uh, you, you rush in maybe without stopping to consider Uh, It's harder for you to consider and stop and slow down. What I said about potential terrorists sneaking in among the Afghan refugees uh, or just the nature of Islam and, and what happens when it's not the first generation coming to America from Afghanistan, if they stay here long term, what happens with the second and third generation? You know, for me to say those kinds of things, that's probably going to really rub you the wrong way. And I understand that. I I get that. It makes sense to me. It's regrettable. And I don't want to, I don't want to play into that recklessly, but also too, I don't want to leave you forlorn if your compassionate impulse needs to be informed in order to be as effective as possible, as helpful as possible. I don't want to leave you in a lurch and deprive you of some additional thoughts that I think should be taken into consideration, even as you are strongly led to contribute, to help here in some way. For the folks who are first and foremost concerned about national security, concerned about the safety of their wives and their children and the future of Western civilization, my saying in any shape or form that we should be welcoming Afghan refugees, that might tick you off. That might be, how could you say that? That's so naive. That's so foolish. And 
believe me, I get it. I, I'm more inclined to that way of thinking about it as a husband and a father. I have studied up on these things. I've read Douglas Murray's Strange Death of Europe. I've read a lot of histories of the Crusades and the history of Islam, and I get it, right? I had a younger brother who served in Afghanistan in the Marine Corps, did a tour of duty there several years ago, obviously. I had two brothers-in-law who also were in the U.S. Army and did tours in Iraq and Afghanistan, and they brought back stories. And I I understand. My mom married an Egyptian uh, not once but twice. She married two, <laughs> two in succession, uh, Egyptian men. And I interacted with the first of those two husbands. I haven't ever met or talked with the second, and I don't particularly have any interest in doing so. Uh, but I, I have some familiarity, I guess is what I'm trying to say. I have some familiarity with the Middle East and Muslims and this whole war on terror <clears throat> dynamic. And as such, it's not as open shut as, well, just don't let any of them in, right? If they come from the Middle East. You know, if, if you take that position, we're not even going to let in Middle Easterners Afghanis specifically who profess to be Christians, well, then you are playing into, just full disclosure, you are playing into the talking point of the left and the globalists that anybody who's concerned here is a racist or a xenophobic. I am not for us just allowing anybody and everybody into this country. That's not practical. That's not wise. It's not smart. You know, if a hundred Afghan refugees show up on my doorstep and they want to stay in the house. They want to live with us. Well, there's only so many square feet in this house and this house needs to be available for my family. I have to provide for my family first and foremost. And I just scale that sentiment up to think about the country, to think about you know what is the capacity for growth and for assimilating people in a small town, in a medium-sized town, in a city, in a state, in a country? At what point do you reach the point of no return where you have lost what you needed to take care of the safety and well-being of the people who were your household, so to speak? We don't want to get to that point, and we don't want to suppose that that point is a lot further out than it actually is. But also, we don't want to say any at all is too many because we do, especially given our involvement in Afghanistan, we, in my view, have a responsibility as a country. We are honor-bound. We are obligated. We have a duty to Afghans who worked with our forces in Afghanistan and risked their lives, risked their families' lives, to help our soldiers, sailors, Marines, airmen to stay alive and to be successful insofar as they could be, given the conditions, given what they had to work with. And I mean that first and foremost from a, we were our own worst enemy. Barack Obama's rules of engagement were stupid, quite frankly. With all due respect, they were stupid. You got to wait for permission 
after you've been fired on by enemy combatants, you can't just return fire. You can't just defend yourself. You're going to have to get permission for that. That's dumb. That's just really, really dumb. That's not a way to be successful and to win the war, which makes me think that the idea wasn't to win the war. In which case, why are you there? Don't be there if you're not going to win. Now, that said, one could ask, Garrett, if you risk offending all parties concerned by turn, one at a time, everybody, inclusively in your podcast episode yesterday, why record something like that? Let's say I go to church with some folks who are all about giving to the Afghan refugees. And I've just called into question whether that's always wise, whether there's a little bit more to the story. Is there another side to this that you should consider? Well, now those folks are going to be offended. And well, why do you do that, Garrett? Why, why do you do things like that? Can't you just keep those thoughts to yourself? Or can't you just be a little bit more tactful? You go to church with some folks who don't think we should be helping the Afghan refugees at all. It's not our responsibility. They shouldn't be brought here. They made their bed. They can lay in it and send it back where they came from. Not our problem. Not our circus. Not our monkeys. And you've just said we do bear a responsibility. We have our national honor, our national reputation at stake. Why do you do things like that? Those people like you, you know, they like you as uh, Nacho Libre would say, to uh, Ramsey. You know, why do you do that to yourself? You're shooting yourself in the foot, alienating folks that agree with you on most things. Well, the simple answer is this. We need to get better. We need to be better. We need to do better. We need to try harder. We need to be more intentional if we're going to deal with what's coming down the pike, what's already here and what's coming in greater quantity and intensity. I was just watching a documentary this morning on YouTube. It's up early. For some reason, I'm waking up at 4.30 instead of 5. I think subconsciously I'm getting ready to be starting my new job come Monday, Lord willing, 6 a.m., seven days a week, or seven days on, I should say, seven days off. So I'm up early. And I am checking out YouTube. I checked my typical news sites. I usually anymore will check the Epoch Times. On occasion, I'll check the Blaze. I'll check notthebee.com. And I'll check Daily Wire. And I checked all those. Didn't see anything new that was super exciting. And so then I went to YouTube and I thought, well, you know, I'm just, I'm curious. I'll scroll through what's being recommended based on what I'm subscribed to, see if there's anything interesting. Well, lo and behold, I find myself watching some more videos on the lore of uh, Dune, a history of House Harkonnen. And somehow or another, that turned into a recommendation for this documentary from 2016 by John Pilger called The Coming War on China. Uh, And actually, I'll back up. Before I saw that one recommended, there was a segment, a 60 Minutes Australia segment, on just how close are we to a potential hot war with China. 
And wouldn't that be Armageddon? There's a spokesperson who's interviewed in that 60 Minutes segment, which I didn't even realize they had in Australia, actually, which is kind of surreal, kind of weird. But there is a spokesperson for Beijing, for the Chinese Communist Party, who was interviewed by this reporter with 60 Minutes Australia. And he is very, very blunt, and maybe he's bluffing, and maybe he is trying to bluster and make a threat display on behalf of the CCP. But what he says is, Armageddon. In a word, Armageddon. If China and the United States get into a shooting war, it will be Armageddon. Take the worst possible outcome you can imagine and then multiply that by 10. That's how bad it'll be. And so then, you know, a uh, retired Australian military general, uh, well-respected, I presume, in Australia, he's interviewed a retired uh, U.S. naval admiral. He is also interviewed. And this whole issue, this whole question of are China and the United States on a collision course and what does that mean? What does it look like? What does it mean for Australia specifically? Because this is 60 Minutes Australia. What should Australia do to prepare? And Are we ready? And Can we handle it? And should we just let Taiwan be taken by China? Uh, you know, all this is explored. Well, I watched this, and of course it's inconclusive because, you know, you have to leave the audience hanging. And, and that's part of how you avoid offending all parties concerned is you, you know, maintain objectivity and say, ah, you know, who knows? Time will tell. Uh, but but then comes this coming war on China documentary from John Pilger. And I'll just tell you up front, I, don't, I didn't care for it. I don't care for it. I'm still watching it. I'll finish it, hopefully. But not my favorite. Not my cup of tea. Because it's all anti-imperialist, anti-colonialist, anti-Western, pro-China. Let's gloss over Let's sanitize China's human rights abuses. We'll touch on it, but we won't make a big deal out of it. We'll spend a full third, a first third of the nearly two-hour documentary talking about the Marshall Islands and the nuclear tests and the H-bomb test uh, on the Bikini Atoll from which uh, the Bikini Swimsuit is named, after which the Bikini Swimsuit was named. We'll spend a full third of the documentary talking about how bad America is that we destroyed this beautiful island paradise and poisoned a whole lot of the native population, which is terrible. That is terrible. And then once we get to Mao Zedong, we'll paint him as the victim. We'll paint him as, you know, the guy, he just, he wanted to get along. He just wanted to, you know, liberate his people and uh, communism was the instrument to do that. And he kept trying to reach out to America, and America wasn't listening, and they didn't want to hear it. And, uh, and isn't America awful? And America really hasn't changed. America's just you know, going to nuke China into the Stone Age and kill all these people and poison them because racism, because imperialism, because colonialism. And, and that's, that's the vibe of all of it. But what is so striking to me is as he's trying to paint China today or post Mao Zedong's glorious revolution, 
as he's trying to paint China in modern times since Mao in this positive, favorable light. He says, oh, no, 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 China. You know, China gets portrayed in the West as being communistic and anti-capitalist. But actually, they are a market, a free market economy. It's just that the free market is run by the Communist Party. And so, you, you know, you're scratching your head and you're just like, well, okay, I'm sorry, but what? What? Uh, you know, it, it, it's a kind of doublespeak that is supposed to confuse you. And in your confusion, you just give up and you just, okay, fine, whatever. Uh, take what you want. Just leave me alone. But you got to think about this. You got to think about how this whole Afghan refugee business and, and how the surrender of Afghanistan and all this military hardware, which is just unconscionable, military technology, military hardware surrendered to the Taliban, ISIS, and Al-Qaeda, and by extension, they're very good friends. They're very old friends. China, who are now coming in, they're going to take the rare earth metals in the northeast corner of the province. Of course, they'll be helping the Afghan people to extract these for a fee and, and you know, first rights, first access. How America handles that makes the world either safer or more dangerous. How we as a people treat the people who have entrusted themselves to us, who have trusted us with their safety and well-being, who have worked with us and for us, alongside us, joined hands with us, how we treat those people will bear fruit of one sort or another. If we are treacherous, we will be betrayed. If we are honorable, then we will be honored. As a man sows, so shall he reap. If we have exposed our allies to great danger, recklessly, selfishly, dishonestly, treacherously, the world is a much more dangerous place for us. Ironically, we think we're saving our own necks. No, we're not. We're actually condemning ourselves to a very, very terrible fate. And I, I, you know, I was just talking about this with the person who called me about the whole small group thing with these Afghan refugees. <clears throat> and, you know, I brought up during Trump's presidential term, 2016 to 2020, we had ISIS to reckon with in the Middle East. Somehow ISIS becomes this big thing, this big bogeyman under Obama. Actually, I think he was building them up, running guns to them. Lots of potential theories on why that was, but I think the whole Benghazi business and the whole Arab Spring business, trying to topple the Assad regime in Syria business, all of it was of a piece with ISIS being propped up and us playing softball with them and not fighting them, not hunting them down, not stopping them under Obama. And then Trump gets in. And all of a sudden, we're not getting terrorist attacks and threats from ISIS. This caliphate uh, is not posing the threat. In fact, they're on the run. And then we're killing them and we are hunting them down. 
And some of the people that were helping us to do this were the Kurds. And the Kurds are a distinct ethnic group. Uh, Saladin, Salahuddin, famous uh, enemy of Richard the Lionheart and the Crusaders centuries ago. He was a Kurd. And the Kurds had no love lost for ISIS. And the Kurds have been in a long-standing struggle and fight with Turkey. But they were working with us, working alongside us. And at a certain point, we went from backing them, supporting them, working with them, to pulling back and letting Turkey go after them. And I don't think the Kurds were expecting us to do that. And they weren't prepared for that. And Turkey was merciless in going after them. There's an ethnic and religious rivalry and a political rivalry that's longstanding between Turkey and the Kurds. And at the time, it certainly felt to me as though we had just made a deal with the devil to give the Kurds over to Turkey. We had betrayed them. And I remember thinking to myself, that was the dumbest move by the Trump administration. That was so stupid. That was just supremely idiotic. With respect. (laughs) With all due respect, that was really stupid. Because it creates the exact same type of optics that our giving Afghanistan into the hands of the Taliban and Al-Qaeda and ISIS and by extension China and Russia creates to where China just turns around and they say to Taiwan and Japan and Korea, South Korea, you see how America treats its allies and its friends. Do you really want to be a friend of America? They will sell you out at the first opportunity. Do you really want to stand with them against us? They're not going to stand with you once it becomes advantageous to abandon you. We created the conditions in which Chinese Communist Party propaganda was able to run ramshot all over the world and undermine our credibility, our reputation, our integrity, and the strength of our alliances, the strength of our coalition. But then you get our own people as well, and half of me wonders if this isn't the point, actually. You get folks like this John Pilger, who in any conflict, in any disagreement, in any dust-up, can be relied on to play the intellectual heir of Howard Zinn and a people's history of the United States. The entire history of the United States from 1619 to the present is a tale of oppression towards women and religious minorities and non-white persons. Anybody we can reach, anybody within grasp, has something we want, America goes in and it takes those things and it oppresses and abuses and mistreats women and minorities and anybody non-white and non-Christian. And, you know, the, the complicated thing of it, honestly, is that you can find bad deeds committed by white Anglo-Saxon so-called Protestant 
males. You can find plenty of bad actions and nefarious deeds and corrupt schemes and corrupt characters. You can find plenty of those in American history at the highest levels. I would say right now, you can look no further than your nearest major media outlet to see corruption on full display. The Biden administration is corruption, corruption of our media, corruption of our political establishment on full display. But a couple of things on that. One, show me a country where you can't which isn't to say that it's right, but it is to say you've got other motives besides just being so pure-hearted that you can't stand corruption. You're laser-focused and obsessed with any misdeed on America's part, and you turn a blind blind eye to misdeeds and corruption on the part of others. And for two, that's not all there is to the story. That's not all there is to the character of the United States of America. It just flat isn't. That is not all there is to us. We are not just racist, paternalistic scientists and military officials and political officials selling opium to the Chinese and getting rich off of it. Some of us are that way, absolutely. And it is fascinating for John Pilger's documentary to highlight that Franklin Delano Roosevelt's grandfather got rich off of the opium trade in China. That is fascinating. Anybody with the last name, middle name of Forbes is heir to a fortune built on opium trading in China. That is important. That's an important part of history that we need to reckon with and we need to understand. We need to be clear-headed about. But being clear-headed is not what you get when you only talk about all of the bad things to make America look as bad as possible, to weaken us to the greatest extent possible. And you only talk about the good things or you just pass briefly over, you sail clean over atrocities by other countries like China, like Japan. You know, let's focus on imperialist American bases on Okinawa, for instance. But let's not talk about the rape of Nanking by Japanese forces. Let's talk about the opium war. Let's not talk about China's great leap forward, so-called, in which millions of their own people starved and died. Untold millions were oppressed, terrorized, brutalized, murdered through the Cultural Revolution. There's an interesting little commentary here on the Wikipedia article for John Pilger, under the subsection, The Coming War on China, his documentary film. The very last bit in the very last paragraph. Kevin Maher wrote in The Times that he admired the early sequences on the Marshall Islands, but that he believed the film lacked nuance or subtlety. Maher wrote that for Pilger, China is, quote, a brilliant place with just some issues with human rights, but let's not go into that now, end quote. Diplomat columnist David Hutt said, Pilger consistently glosses over China's past crimes while dwelling on America's. Absolutely and exactly. Caitlin Johnstone of Scoop called the film, quote, powerful and praised it for showing, quote, 
the USA's generations-long history of provocation and hostility toward China's government. It also addresses the silly projection so many Westerners harbor that if the U.S. wasn't bullying and slaughtering the world into compliance, China would take over doing the same. Why is that a silly projection? Why is that a silly projection? And is that a straw man? I think it is. The admission is not to be so readily agreed with that the U.S. is just bullying, slaughtering the world into, into compliance. The hippie movement, the peace movement, all you need is love and drugs and a sexual revolution and rock and roll. I'm sorry, but that fundamentally misapprehends human nature. Human beings are not inherently good. And it isn't a story where you know, m- most everybody, everybody except for white Americans who are inheritors of the Western tradition, everybody else is inherently good. We are inherently evil and corrupt and wicked and awful and no good. There's this great book on the history of the British Empire called, plainly enough, Empire, How Britain Made the Modern World by Niall Ferguson, in which Niall Ferguson explains that everybody dogged on the British Empire when it was at its peak leading up to World War II. And then the world saw the atrocities of Nazi Germany and of Imperial Japan. And all of a sudden, the narrative that the British were the supremely evil, corrupt force in the world looked just a little bit different. Yes, just like with American history, there are bad actors in British history Plenty of of bad actors. Plenty of bad actors doing bad things from bad motives, corruptly, causing human suffering all over the planet. But that's not all there is to the story, for one. There are also some really decent, noble people in the mix. And also, this is not a uniquely British problem any more than in our day. There's a uniquely American problem. You thought... The British Empire was bad. Just wait until you see what the Japanese Empire will do. Just wait until you see what Nazi Germany is willing to do. It's a people problem. And so then the question must be not how do we get America out of the way any more than the question should have been how do we get the British Empire out of the way. And the the question really isn't even how do you get China to stop becoming what it is on track to become the preeminent superpower in the world. The question is, how do you organize in such a way as to fulfill to the greatest extent possible what we read in Romans chapter 13, that the governing authority is a minister of God with the task of rewarding those who do good and punishing those who do evil. Universally, when governments go bad, They reward those who do evil, and they punish those who do good. But we have to be clear-headed about what is good and evil. And we can't have our cake and eat it too, where we say, well, we don't want the Christian influence in politics, in government. But also, when professing Christians operate in an amoral way, or in a moral vacuum, or in a godless way, with no respect for ethics, we're going to be upset about that too. Well, you you, got to pick one. You got to pick one. 
And when you pick one, you can't just have it be this overly simplistic, one-size-fits-all approach. I think government should only reward those who do good. I don't think it should be in the business of punishing those who do evil. I don't believe in that. I don't think any Christian should be for punishing those who do evil. That's not Christ-like. I'm sorry. Take it up with Paul. Take it up with the Apostle Paul. He differs. God disagrees with you. And I think when that's the case, you should just change your mind. There's folks on the other side who don't think that government should ever reward those who do good. Government should only punish those who do evil and then leave the rest of us the hell alone. Well, no. No, it's, it's both and. It's not either or. It is proper for good government to reward those who do good and to punish those who do evil by God's design. That's part of common grace. I got to leave it there, though. That's enough for this episode. There was more I was going to get into, but look at us. We're getting up there in length. I got to call that good for now. Get back to doing some studying today, some tidying up. This week, I'm off, starting a new job on Monday. I want to thank everybody from Sterling Energy who's reached out over the past couple of weeks, knowing that I was leaving. I am semi-officially gone. I suppose I'm still kind of in a consultant role until Friday. I'm getting paid through Friday of this week, but I'm not going in because one person in particular threw a fit, didn't want to see my face anymore, which is fine. God bless you. I still shook his hand on my way out. I wished him well. I was polite. I was cordial. I was professional. Not everybody is, but that's all I'll say about it. In the meantime, I've got a bookshelf coming. I need to put up a new bookshelf in my home office, bringing all this stuff back from the plant that was part of my work uh, setup. Well, now it needs to be part of my home office, and I'm, I'm going to have to put a place in my office for these things besides just piling them all in my closet or on my dresser. So I've got that coming. I think it's going to be here Sunday. So I'll have to put it together on Sunday afternoon. You could be praying for me. I am. I have been asked to uh, preach this coming Sunday. I will throw it out there. One last thought. Uh, I'm a little bit nervous about it, not from the standpoint of grappling with the material, but just from the standpoint of getting up and, you know, not wanting to be the center of attention. It's, it's one of those weird things. We'll talk more about it soon, but uh, you, you don't want to be the center of attention, but you've also got to get up there and you've got to serve God and these people by communicating. And so uh, you can pray for me as I prepare this sermon and uh, more on that to come. As always, thank you for listening. Until next time. God bless. You've been listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. For more content like what you just heard, subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. Also check out thegarrettashleymulletshow.com to subscribe to email alerts when new episodes are published. As always, you can reach me with any comments, questions, complaints, objections, or insights at garrettashleymullet at protonmail.com. Thank you.